Welcome back. You are tuning in for part two of our interview with the incomparable Karen Somerville. Thanks for joining us today. Let's go. Karen, I'm curious about, uh, well, I'm fascinated that they latched onto baseball so quickly and at, you know, swinging a bat while also, you know, swinging a diaper around. (laughs) And did you provide them other opportunities? Like how did, like, were you trying to get them interested in art? I mean, I know you were having them read uh, case law books from the, (laughs) from the family library, but uh, which by the way, my, which my father did when I was age nine in that. Yeah. I was at his office. It was during the summer. He was a prosecuting attorney. I was obviously probably driving him nuts and he gave me the only book. And I mean, one of the books in his office, which was a case law book. And that pretty much prevented my path of, of ever, uh, you know, being one of uh, becoming a lawyer. But did you did you provide other opportunities? And- oh, yes, yes, many. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think of all of the opportunities we did, but they played tennis, they played soccer, they played basketball, they played chess, uh, they played the piano. Um, that was one of my proudest parenting moments, actually, they took about uh, maybe six months worth of lessons, and they played in a recital, and they were wearing their baseball u- uniforms, and their little <laughs> their little baseball hats were on the beside them on the bench. And then we left for the game, and they really never looked back. That was kind of the end of their base or their that was the answer, end of their piano careers. Uh, but the the younger one actually did take up the cello later, and played reasonably well. Um, and through all of that, though, it was baseball that they kept coming back to. And at each of them at about age 10 or 11 asked to be able to focus on baseball. And we agreed that they could. But looking back at it, I would not have allowed it to happen because they both had injuries that were uh, probably the result of uh, focusing and specializing in one sport too early. And for the youngest, it was the most pronounced because he had hip surgery when he was I believe 20 years old and wow. it was a surgery to repair a frayed hip labrum. And what I was told by the surgeon is that during adolescence, the hip ball is malleable. And so with his beautiful delivery, he was the pitcher. He would bring his knee up to his chest and it would gracefully go out behind him. like a ba- He was like a ballet dancer. It was just stunningly beautiful. But that movement and that motion that he repeated probably thousands of times before he was 20 had caused the uh, hip ball to become misshapen and the labrum then to become frayed. And it became very painful and it it prevented him really from going forward further in, in, in baseball. Although there, it, a lot of players do recover from that, uh, but he had just really had lost the desire to play the game at that point. So I would, I would tell people. Not, yeah, I I mean, there, the research clearly shows now that uh, it it really is good for young athletes to play a, a multiple number of sports and be involved in different activities because of the different use of, you know, use of different muscles and movements. I, I made a note. I, I don't know if it's possible in this in the video portion of this podcast, but if uh, I would love to have the picture of now, this was Peter, right? 
Oh, Andrew. Andrew oh, was this was Andrew. Okay. Andrew had the hip surgery. Okay. So I would love to have the picture of Andrew because if we if we could somehow post that on the screen, it would okay. really be um so let me uh, see. Oh, can. maybe she can do it now. I might, I might actually be able to do that. Uh, let me see. And not lose you. That's the big question. Let me make sure I didn't lose you. It's okay. Uh, if you it's okay if you do lose us. Oh, okay. I can, uh, yeah, I can, I'm sure I can find it here somewhere because we can take a break, right? Um, yeah. In fact, okay. I'm just going to hit pop. Or do you have it? Well, I'm going to, it'll take me just a minute to find it. So if you are on the video edition of this podcast, you can see this picture right here of Andrew. If you are not on the video and you're audio only, you'll just have to go with the description of this very, I don't know, I'm thinking like a swan or something. I'm thinking of something very, very graceful. Tell us, what's hap- tell us what's happening here. Well, he has just finished his delivery. What Andrew would do is he would, he would, he had several, he had a couple of different deliveries, but the one that was most memorable was that he would bring his um, knee up to his chest. So his left knee would, would come up to his chest and hit his chest. And then it would not explode, but it would go back behind him and extend way above his head in the back. And that was, it was just so beautiful to behold. And what I, what I didn't know was happening was that this was this beautiful, beautiful motion that I admired every time he threw was actually causing the hip ball to become misshapen and for the hip labrum to fray, which would cause great pain in a few years to come. And so I think that uh, one of the things that I uh, learned from this is that one, what this is really important actually is parents of a talented athlete. It's easy to get caught up in the um, the excitement that is that others feel around your child as well, and to get caught up in this and wanting them to do um, even better. And I think as much as colleges, I think are guilty of wanting our children to do well early on. It's also parents because we we kind of uh, live vicariously through their success. And so we have to pull ourselves back and and catch ourselves and wondering if they're doing it too early and if they're doing it too much. When I look at that photo now, it 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 actually hurts me to look at that. And when I look at subsequent photos, I believe that photo would have been taken when he was probably a junior, sophomore, junior in high school. And when I look to later photos of him pitching in college, his his leg does not extend like that. It's actually um, crooked. It doesn't go up as high. It's very different. And so something was happening mm. during those intervening years. But I could not have known that when I was admiring that pitch. Right. How'd the conversation go when they came to you and said, we want to focus on baseball? You said they were 10, 11 years old? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, the one that I remember most distinctly was Andrew was 10 and he was in a middle school that actually started in fifth grade. And he it was a new school for him. And he was on the soccer team and we had his soccer team had a game and he had played particularly well in that game. He was a good soccer player. Um, And we had scheduled after that a tryout for next year's baseball team. And it was, we had almost, we had just enough time to get from uh, North Seattle to across a bridge 
and over to another town, probably 15 miles away. Just enough time between his game for soccer and his tryout for baseball. And so he changed in the car and he would he threw his cleats in the back. He threw his shin guards in the back, the socks went in the back and he put on his baseball uniform. He said, I don't want to do soccer anymore. I just want to do baseball. And I said, Andrew, I said, you are already committed to your team for soccer. You they're counting on you and you can't just quit. But if it's your desire to quit soccer and concentrate on baseball after you play for your team at school, that's okay with me. And so that's how that conversation went. I think he actually did play one more season for his school because he was really good and his team kind of needed him. There was a small school and he, and I think in one of his very last games in soccer, he got, he was, well, it wasn't their last game because he got them into the finals by doing a header into the goal. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a nice very way to cool. get out of soccer, but yeah. I, <laughs> I, lo I love your approach to that conversation and um, balancing the his wishes, but also teaching him a lesson about commitment and responsibility. And uh, we, Nate and I, we we have this conversation many times about the the difference between stopping and quitting. Mm -hmm. And maybe we're just mincing words, but to us, there's a big difference between stopping something. You know, after you fulfilled your com commitment, versus uh, I'm just, you know, I'm uncomfortable or don't like this, so I'm just going to to quit. And you do that midstream. So I think that's a thing. That's another beautiful example of some really good parenting. I want to I want to tie this back to the idea of the constellation of gifts. Kids tend to latch on to things they're good at, mm -hmm. and they want to do it more. And the idea of doing something that they might not be as good at can be terrifying, especially mm -hmm. in the age of social media where, I mean, you make a mistake and it gets blasted all over the place like that. And so kids kind of have to live with this pressure to perform all the time and getting them to try new things can be really tough. Part of why video games are so enamoring for kids is because they can get good at it. Mm -hmm. And then once they're good at it, it's like, I don't want to try anything else. I'm good at this. And so I just do this all the time. How do you help them continue to explore when they've already found something they're good at? I think that our boys were, were pretty good at uh, being willing to try new things. And even, I mean, Peter, for example, I mean, he said he wanted to concentrate on baseball and he did, but he mm -hmm. still continued to, I would say, dabble in tennis and oh. play, and he played basketball. And Andrew, uh, the pitcher, he, yes, he concentrated on baseball, but um, his school actually required that they play a stringed instrument. Really? Oh, yes, mm -hmm. I know. And so he played the cello. And he, he got, I mean, was he good at it concert like? No, but did he, did we recognize the tune? Did it sound pleasant? Yes. And we encouraged him to continue. And I, I actually kept the music that he played when he was in fifth and sixth grade mm -hmm. and I gave it to him and we actually purchased a cello for him so he can continue playing. So they didn't, when I say they concentrated on baseball, yes, they did, but they each had other things that they uh, continued to do while they did baseball. It wasn't, and when I say they, we let them kind of, they weren't always playing on a, on a really, they weren't playing on as competitive a team as they were for baseball. 
Mm-hmm. So they still kept doing some of those things. And yeah. And we encourage would... them to, you know, it's, you don't, I, I think our, it was like, you don't have to be good. You, we tell them you don't have to be good at this. Just, you know, you, you, you want to do your best, but you just want to just let's try this. Yeah. I think that's a problem. A lot of our listeners and just in general, people run into is that competition with the like video games and things like that, getting kids to be willing to go and try those new things and keep doing different things. Anything that we can do to help them, you know, continue to do that is great. Well, one of the things that when I speak to parents and groups of parents, the first question I almost always get from the audience is, all my son wants to do is video games. Yep. And so I, I, what I look at is, okay, if my son only did baseball and that was all he did, would I try to take that away from him? I don't think that that would be appropriate. I don't think you want to take the video games away from them. You want to inspire them to use that to learn uh, another way of interacting with the world. And so one of the women that I am uh, now co- uh, connected with on LinkedIn, and we ha- actually have Zoom calls, and we're part of a little parenting authors group, um, she was complaining about her son uh, doing video games. And that was the only thing. But I said, well, what what else? You know, how does he how does he use that? Well, he had started a um, an augmented reality team for soccer. Oh, wow. And they were actually playing soccer. So he was getting the movement and he was guiding these kids who were younger than he was in coaching them. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is not a bad thing. This may look like video games. It may look like a screen, but this is very different. And so I think you want to sit down with the child, like I didn't do with Peter, and ask him, what do you find so interesting? And if it's like gaming, encourage them to develop some games, encourage them to develop an app that gets kids out of outdoors. So the things that don't happen when they're on the screen is they don't get outdoors enough and they don't make friends. And so you want them to use that screen to get them outdoors and to get them um, in groups. And I have a, ne- a nephew who's a, a math genius. And the way that he makes friends and the way that he gets out in the world is through math competitions. And he he's now president of his math club at his high school. And and so we have to use their interests and their talents to help them negotiate in the world to find a way to connect. We can't we can't insist that they not play games. And, and also, when I was still doing the career counseling for lawyers, um, the last year that I really did it full time was in probably 2018 or 19. And then there were at least two of my clients who went in-house as attorneys for gaming companies. So that is going to be a need when we talk about finding the intersection of a child's deep gladness and the world's deep need. The world does need um, people who are good at gaming. And we just need to see that and open up the the world of gaming and world of the screens in a way that's uh, not harmful and more beneficial to our children. That's one of the things I love most about your description with the constellation of gifts is you think about what a constellation is. It's a bunch of different stars in the sky Mm -hmm. and it's how you put those stars together that creates the image. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about here is you look at the different parts of the kids' lives, each one a star, and it's how they put them together 
that makes it that unique gift that they can offer the world. Exactly. And that's, you know, I look at Peter and I, I think too often we expect them to have a North star. We expect them to have something that's like this incredible gift. And, and in some ways, Andrew had that with his pitching, but with Peter, there was no bright shining star. It was all of these, these stars that weren't, um, they weren't North stars. They were just, they were clear stars, but not the North star. And they were his uh, ability to do data anal- analysis and his you know love of statistics and his ability to work with people and his ability to uh, and his deep love of baseball and he didn't he wasn't the best player on his team but he understood the game probably better than anybody else on the field including the coaches when he was probably in high school and college and so it was that uh, combination and also when he was 12 years old They're having the Washington State Tennis Tournament now. And he was asked to help manage the front desk for the Washington State Open. As a 12-year-old? As a 12-year-old, yes, yes. And I, he said, Mom, don't come and watch me. Well, of course. I, <laughs> of course. I mean, there's no way I'm not going to go down and watch him. But I, I stayed my distance and I saw him pick up one phone, put it down, pick up another phone, put it down, run off, come back, pick up one phone, hang that up, pick up the other phone. And he was just, it was, yeah, he was 12 years old. Nice. What's the best way for parents to compliment their kids? Oh, great question. Which means that I have to think about it. When you say, (laughs) when you tell somebody that it's a great question, it means that you can't really answer it. And so I need to think about this one. This is true. I mean, I'm, I can just jump in here and tell you, Karen is the queen of questions she is a she is a question queen uh, slash genius extraordinaire on LinkedIn because if uh, just fair warning if you make a comment uh, which by the way all of her posts end with very good questions and if you make a comment on her LinkedIn and I mean this in a very flattering and complimentary way she is going to reply with another question to you. And I, I love that about her. Yeah. Well, and my favorite question is why? My, that is my absolute favorite question. And so when you, uh, to compliment our children, I think it has to be genuine. I think too often we want to, it, it's tempting to say, you know, you did it, you did a good job, you did your best. But when they're, that didn't, that didn't resonate, that wouldn't, that, that would probably be hurtful after a game. So when we, when we think about complimenting our children, we want to make sure that way that we're complimenting them is actually helpful and not harmful. Because I can think of times when um, Andrew had a terrible baseball game and he had just, the pitching was not what the team needed. The team had lost and he knew it was his fault. And he took great responsibility for that. And I would say, well, you did your best or, you know, you did, you did, it was all right. And he would just, he would be angry because that wasn't, it wasn't genuine. It wasn't truthful. And so whatever compliment we do give them has to first be truthful and it has to be from our heart. And we have to know the child to know how that will be received by them. Because I think for some children that actually might be okay. They would be grateful to know that, yeah, it was, it was okay. But Andrew was not going to be okay with that. Um, He knew he had screwed up. And so I think 
that a better way than a compliment would be, and in fact, I did have this conversation with him after a particularly bad game. It was more about, okay, what do we want to do going forward? How are we going to, you know, I'm going to give so-and-so a call. I'm going to try and find someone. I would want to give them hope. And so I guess I'm getting away from the compliment because it's really kind of easy when they do well. I mean, then it's it's really easy to come up with a uh, a way of talking to them about the game and talking to them and encouraging them. But it's when they have had the worst game in a while that we need to find a way to really refrain from complimenting them and finding a way to give them hope. And that's where we look at, you know, what were the what were the the pieces that we need to kind of look at and and explore. And that was one of his worst games inspired me to find someone and to find a different team for him where the coach was actually a former uh, major league pitcher. And he had become a pitching coach now and did the coaching in the context of both his team and offering some uh, special uh, pitching lessons. And he, and I remember talking to him and Andrew was 10 at the time. I think that's right. And I called him and told him about my son and how he, he really was, you know, wanting to become even better. And he did get some attention. And so the pressure was on him. And then I asked him if he would meet with Andrew and would give him some, some pitching lessons. And he said, I have to be honest with you. I don't want to, I don't coach anyone in pitching under the age of 12. He said, they're not able to understand the mechanics of their body. They're not able to respond to the direction that I give them. And so I really don't want to take parents' money at that point. And I said, I really appreciate that. I, I really, I respect that. And then he said, but actually he said, um, how old is he? And I said, well, he's, he's almost 11. <laughs> I said, um, he's just, he's going to be 11 in two weeks. And he said, well, Karen, why don't you, he, yeah, I never met him, but I, he said, why don't you bring Andrew down? And I just, can I just play a game of catch with him? And so I told him that I would, and I came down and met with Dave and, and he gave Andrew, you know, he told Andrew, you know, just let's just play a game of catch. And, and they played a game of catch. And then Andrew took his baseball hat off at one point and Dave saw his red hair and he saw that Andrew could actually throw the ball pretty well. And he said, okay, I'll work with him. He's a redhead like me. And <laughs> I can see that he actually can throw. He said, I'll make an exception. And that began a, I think it was a five year, at least no longer than that, probably um, seven or eight year relationship with Dave as his pitching coach. And so it was a conversation that kind of wanted to be a compliment, but it couldn't be because Andrew had had a very hard game and it turned instead into a discussion of what can we do to, to get you the help that you need? Because clearly he wanted to do better. And sometimes you blow right past those opportunities trying to make them feel better. And so you just use these loose, nebulous compliments that don't really hit home or ring true. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not, it's not helpful. And I think it's hurtful because then they don't, if we compliment them when it's not genuine, they don't know yeah. whether they can trust us in our evaluation. Of Boy, them. if that's not a powerful phrase, genuine compliments build trust. Yeah. And it's so tempting. Uh, and I think it depends on their age too. I mean, yeah. when they're five years old and, and when Peter overran first base, I mean, that was, it's kind of like, you know, we, we actually loved it. <laughs> we just, mm -hmm. we remember that fondly and, 
And we tried to make it not embarrassing, although we do bring it up from time to time. And he was just so excited to get a hit that he ran past first base. And um, and that one, I think, as they get older, they know whether it's a genuine compliment or not. Yeah. And that's when we have to turn that from, you know, just giving them because uh, we I think at that point we told, told Peter, you got a great hit and not. <laughs> but <laughs> right. of course, later, later, in, as they progress, they know when they've done a good job or not. They don't need they don't need our compliments so much as our ability to help them if they want to get better to to move to that next level. Good stuff. Thank you. Good thinking. Yeah, I I have a a mom question. Twenty twenty two for the Padres was a, a quite an exciting year. They, I mean, if you were judging everything based on just the final outcome, they they came up a little bit short but i i know i loved having just brief linkedin conversations and with you and hearing about your travels tell our listeners maybe a favorite padre story from last year or even this anytime really like what is something that sticks out for you as a mom and and watching this your your son you know as a member of the padres organization research you know, the research, what did well, you call him? Research assistant? Research science coach. That's research not science coach. Yeah. I know there's not, that's yeah. a ridiculous uh, title for, for baseball, yeah. but um, right. actually the, my favorite moment from last year was, um, I, I mean, this was an, all an introduction to a level of baseball that I had never experienced. And so we are talking major league baseball. They had just, they had just won against the Dodgers, their nemesis, they had just clinched the National League or the their their division. It would have been the Western Division. They had just clinched, right. that. and so we are uh, we are invited as the parents to celebrate on the field for the this champagne celebration. And there is just nothing more fun than being out there with the media, with the the players. Just it's and in meeting these players and seeing he's shorter than I thought he was. Oh, he's taller than I thought he was. <laughs> but actually, this is kind of so. There was a moment that I recall where there was I would ask people, so what is your connection to the team? And someone was, oh, my mother in law is one of the trainers or something. And then I'm so I there observed someone off in the corner by himself. And I walked up to him and I said, oh, I'm Peter Summerbell's mom. And I, I said, what is your connection to the team? And he said, I'm the owner. <laughs> and I, I, I said, I am so embarrassed. And he said, oh, no, don't be. We're all just walking on this earth. Wow. Yeah. And since then, I have actually appreciated the fact that Peter is a coach with the Padres, because if that's the if that comes from the ownership down what a great opportunity for peter whether they're winning or losing for the for the owner of the team to believe that we're just all walking on this earth wow that is yeah that's amazing thanks for telling that story yeah it's one that i reflect on and and i i'm sure i shared it with peter and he's like yeah mom embarrassed me again <laughs> That's your prerogative as the mom. That's right. It's my job. Not my Moms prerogative. always have license to embarrass their children. Yeah. And we take advantage of it. Yes. <laughs> well, speaking of being a mom, if you were to, I mean, we've, you've given us a treasure trove of tips and, and ways for parents to, to view parenting their performers and, and helping their young ones to find their constellation of gifts. 
If you were to look back at young mother Karen, if you could rewind, what uh, is there anything that you would do differently or you would tell that young mother that we've, we haven't mentioned, or maybe even that you have mentioned, maybe it's a point that needs to be driven home. Yeah. And I think um, it would be going back to Peter and just being more curious rather than having expectations. I think that is the, and that's why I want to be the parent GPS and why I'm doing the writing and the speaking, why I offered to come onto this podcast is because I want mothers and fathers to be more curious. It's just, it is too tempting. It's just in our nature to have expectations. And we need to set those expectations aside and be more curious and understand that our child is born to be them. Our child has gifts that we may not understand, but then we need to under we need to get to know what it is they love about that. We need to get to understand it so we can help them develop that. And then we have to trust that their constellation will be enough and that the world's need will, when they become an adult, will be ready to meet their deep gladness. Powerful stuff. Love it. Thanks for sharing all the stuff that you've shared with us today. If people want to learn more from the Parent GPS, where can they go to learn from you and find out? Well, the best way would be to go to my website, which is just karensomerville.com. And Karen and Somerville is spelled like the season and V-I-L-L-E.com. And I also would very much appreciate and enjoy having them sign up for my newsletter and they can do that at the website awesome. and, and there they can reach me directly. They can, you know, I'm not a parent coach, but I'm happy to talk to parents and happy to email. Um, they can go to LinkedIn. I'm, I post uh, frequently on LinkedIn and I'll be starting up on Instagram restarting in a few weeks so they can look for me there as awesome. well. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks again for all of your time and all of your insights. I know if people follow you, they're going to they're gonna learn even more. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share because I really am motivated to get the word out there because I, I do wish that the young Karen, the young mom, Karen, could have known what I know now. And it took me, you know, 25 or 30 years to know what I know now. And I wish that I had known that when my boys were were uh, toddlers and when they were just starting out to play t-ball. Well, I know the world is uh, grateful that you maybe have discovered this new star in uh, in your constellation and you're sharing it with with the young mothers. And I hope that we I hope that Nate and I can grow our audience to the point where this reaches hundreds, thousands of of parents and especially younger parents. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is actual real GPS that you need to you need to follow. So thank you very, very much, Karen. Thank you. Yes. Go. Go Padres. Yes. Go Padres. I agree. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> bye bye. On behalf of Steve Galley, I'm Nate Crandall, and we thank you, our loyal listeners, for tuning in to this episode. If you love what you're learning from the Stop Parenting and Start Coaching podcast, we would appreciate it very much if you would leave us a five-star review and some glowing comments. We also encourage you to share this episode with your friends and family who are parents of athletes and performers. And if you want to explore further and see what Steve and I are creating to help thousands of parents, athletes, and performers, 
please visit our company's website at createtransformbecome.com. That's createtransformbecome, all one word, dot com. There you'll find a growing number of resources to help you elevate your performance. Thank you again for your support, and we encourage you to create a magical relationship with your athlete and performer.